Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Morning, City Light. How you doing? Doing good? Here we go. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. This is going to be a fun sermon, although I do expect this to be the largest giving week we've ever had. Uh, no, just, just kidding. Just kidding. That's not what this story's even really about. But see, like this passage isn't a real popular uh, sermon. Uh, this isn't a passage that we like hang up on our bathroom walls or uh, like when we celebrate baptisms, like no one's ever stepped into the waters of baptism and was like, you know, I was unsure about this whole Jesus thing, but then I read Acts 5. And I really decided that this was it. Like, this is an odd passage. This is not one that people have memorized, have written down, have tattooed on their bodies. But uh, I do think that it has some beautiful truth in it for us. And here here at City Light, what we do is we pick a book of the Bible and we walk straight through it. And so the thing about that that's really awesome is that uh, when you get to passages like this, you can't really skip it because it's on the calendar. And so we get to talk about stuff that sometimes is a little hard, sometimes things that make us scratch our head. But I think ultimately what it does, it illuminates to us that the whole Bible is telling us one story about God's redemption of his broken creation. And so what happens is when we can't skip passages, it actually illuminates different parts of the Bible to us and helps us see things about ourselves that maybe we would have been tempted to just kind of skip over in the first place. So this is, a, this is going to be a fun, fun sermon, I think. So Acts 5, we get a story about God taking out some folks. Also, it's Family Sunday, which is also kind of interesting. So you guys are going to have lots of questions from your kids now. Uh, but I believe that although on the surface it seems a little harsh or something, I think it's a great mercy that God does for his church in Acts 5. In God's judgment of Ananias and Sapphira, we see God's judgment and his mercy for his church firsthand. That's what I want to talk about today, that God's judgment actually shows us God's mercy. God's judgment shows us God's mercy. And I know already, I can feel it, you're skeptical, but it's all right. Let's walk through it. We'll get there. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Uh, So let's start in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, A man named Ananias, Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's this man and his wife who, uh, they come up with a plan. And their plan is to deceive the church. They sell this piece of land and offer only a portion of it to the disciples as an offering. But they, the problem is, is that they lie about it. They act as though they've given everything to the church. Yeah, I, I gave it all. And it's actually held in contrast if we turn back a page to Acts chapter 4 verse 36. We read a story about a man named Joseph who did this exact same thing only he did it honestly. Where he sold his property and he gave it all to the disciples. And so Ananias and Sapphira must have seen this happen. 
And maybe they just want some of the kudos that Joseph got. You know, maybe they think, oh, Joseph got like all these pats on the backs and everybody told him how awesome he was. And so I'm going to do the same thing he did, but instead they actually hold back some of the things. And I, I don't know exactly why they did what they did, but I do know that we all have the temptation to do something very similar. We all have a tendency to pretend that like we know a little more than we do. We all have a tendency to pretend like, oh yeah, I'm in my word, sort of. We all have a tendency to pretend that we are more devout and more holy and we've got it all together more than we probably actually do. I mean, when you come over to my house for Citigroup on Monday nights, you see a clean, pristine house. Well, most, mostly clean and pristine. And it's, it's almost as if there's never any dirty dishes in the sink. There's never any shoes left on the floor. But what you don't know is that for an hour before you came over, we were frantically clean in the place. We act as if this is, we're all put together and we have everything, everything is all fine. Uh, it's like, kind of like we're performing for one another sometimes, right? And it only gets worse in the age of social media where we are constantly posting just the best pictures of ourselves. We're sharing the highlights of life, highlighting the celebrations. But how many times do you post the picture of when you first get out of bed? <laughs> Or how many of us have like gone through like pictures that friends have taken of us and like untagged ourselves in the bad ones? Yeah, no, nobody else, that's fine. But we don't, we don't tend to share that stuff. We tend to portray that we are strong and we are knowledgeable and we are well put together and we have everything we need. We don't need any help. And like to get like on a different level, like, how often are we truly honest when someone asks you, what can I pray for you for? How many know those things that you need to confess to somebody, but you just can't quite say the words? When was the last time you were truly vulnerable about your doubts, your struggles, and your shortcomings with others? And I know the answer for me for those questions is a lot of times like, not near as often as I should. Like, I, I, I want to be strong. I want to be put together. I want to be thought of as devout and smart and holy. and I'm good. But that's, that's what's happening here. Is the Ananias and Sapphira are putting on a front. They're pretending that they are giving away everything, but they're lying. They're portraying something to the community that isn't actually true. And if you want to like a textbook definition, that's like textbook hypocrites right there, right? <laughs> Portraying something that is actually not true. And, and the thing I want to make sure to point out is that Ananias and Sapphira weren't struck down because they didn't give. It was because of this heart posture of hypocrisy and lying. It's because they lied about it. Verse 3 says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds for the land. They lied. It's just hypocrisy. And what I, what I think is super interesting about Peter's line uh, in the following verses, in verse 4, it says, he says this, it says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, what is it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart 
and not lied to man, but to God. It's almost like Peter's like a little confused and incredulous of like, why did you even do that? Like, that was your house. Nobody told you to sell it and try to pretend like, where did you get this idea? Like, are you so self-deluded and blind to your own sin? I don't understand. Peter comes to Ananias and is a little bit confused. He's like, man, don't you realize what you've done? And it's kind of at that moment where Ananias and Sapphira are caught red-handed. I'm at the age where a lot of my friends are having kids who are starting to grow up a little bit into the kind of the toddler age. And uh, I don't know about you, but it seems like every toddler at some point decides that the best place to display their artistic expression are on the walls of the kitchen or the bathroom or their bedroom. And so I've seen like Facebook video after Facebook video of parents walking into rooms with, you know, art all over the wall and then kids just handfuls of markers and crayons and be like, what happened here? Oh, nothing, (laughs) you know? That's kind of the scene that's getting painted here in Acts 5 where Peter has caught them red-handed. They are caught. And here's the thing that I want you to see. Like, man, if you're hiding sin, if you're pretending to be something you aren't, if, you're, if you have weaknesses that are holding you back and that you're pretending don't exist, the best thing that can happen to you is to be caught red-handed. The best thing that can happen to you is to be exposed. And it, it may not feel like it at the time. <laughs> In those moments, it may mean you have to confess. It may mean you have to own up to some stuff. It may mean you have to change your life and stop doing some things and start doing other things. Like there's always consequences to sin. But here's the thing, like God loves us too much to leave us in our sin. And so whenever you're caught, whenever your sin is exposed, whenever you begin to reap the consequences of your sin, when you're confronted and corrected by a brother or sister, this is God's grace to you. What it is, it's an opportunity to turn away from the things that will destroy you. It's an opportunity to repent and to run to God. To turn away from your sin and to walk in holiness and forgiveness. Man, God loves you way too much to leave you in your sin. And if you can like place yourself in the shoes of like a man who was caught in adultery with his wife, and now his whole family and his whole life is falling apart. I bet that man wishes he was caught way back when, when he first sent a couple text messages to that woman, right? Or if you think about like the man who's going to jail because of tax fraud, because he's trying to hide all this money, I bet he wishes that years ago when this first started, the bookkeeper came to him and said, hey, these spreadsheets don't seem to add up. It would have saved them a lot of trouble if they would have been caught, if they would have been exposed. And so when we are caught in our sin, when it becomes exposed, this is God's grace to us. This is an opportunity to turn from the things that will destroy us. This is an opportunity to lay aside the things that are hindering us in our walk with Jesus. Man, when sin is exposed, it is God's grace to you. It is an opportunity to repent before it consumes us. And here's the the thing I think we need to know this morning is we don't have to be afraid of this. We don't have to hide from this. We don't have to pretend to be better than we are. We don't have to lie and perform for one another. Because as 
we, as followers of Jesus, we understand that the cross has kind of already ratted us out, right? Every single week, we gather and we sing songs about the cross. We've got a cross behind me. We take communion, remembering the cross. There's a cross outside. We wear crosses around our neck. And the thing about the cross is that, like, Jesus didn't come to die on the cross in case we were sinners. <laughs> like, Jesus came and died on the cross because we are sinners. And so in that way, the cross already, like, I can look out at everyone in this room, and you can look up on stage, and you can know everybody is messed up. Everybody got stuff they're working through. Everybody has places where they need to grow and learn and mature. And so we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend because the cross lets us know that we're all sinners. And we've all got stuff, and we all need growth. And so we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to be hypocrites. We all need growth and maturation. None of us have it all together. That's exactly why Jesus came. So man, like the beauty of Ananias and Sapphira being caught is that we can stop pretending, stop acting, stop performing, and simply acknowledge that we are in need of grace as we fight every day to walk with God in holiness. Exposed sin is actually God's grace to us. But here's what I want to go from there, is that God's judgment on sin is actually a revelation of his mercy for us. God's judgment shows us his mercy. Because here's, here's the, the truth, is God's judgment on this sin actually brings life to the community in the first century, the church community. Let's stop for a minute. So we're in Acts 5, right? Jesus' church begins in Acts 2. We've only had two full chapters of the church and already sin has infiltrated. Greed is beginning to infect the church. So God sees this dishonesty going on between Ananias and Sapphira and they die. And to be, to be frank, Scripture doesn't actually say outright that God is the one who struck them down, but it's implied fairly strongly. Uh, the question we need to ask is why? Why would God strike down two people who sin? And we see all over the place in the Bible where people sin and they do evil things, but God doesn't take them out in those moments. Why were Ananias and Sapphira taken out here? And so we're actually going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We're going to turn back to a story in Joshua 7 that will help bring some clarity. So in Joshua 7, Israel is entering into the promised land. So they, they'd just done the whole walk around Jericho thing and the walls come tumbling down, right? Uh, if you're a VeggieTales fan where they're like throwing slushies at them. Uh, and so God finally brings Israel into the promised land. And there's this man named Achan who at the new beginning, a new birth, a new opportunity for the city of Israel, this man named Achan disobeys the Lord because of his greed. And in these two stories of Achan and Ananias and Sapphira, they're very similar. The verb that's used in Acts 5 and Joshua 7 to describe the sin of both of them are the same verb. Both sins are in regards to greed and possessions. In both cases, God brings immediate judgment on them. And I think what the most important parallel we have here is that both of these instances happen during new beginnings. 
Israel in Joshua 7 is just coming into the promised land, just establishing this new kingdom. And in Acts 5, the New Testament church is just beginning, just starting to take root in Jerusalem. And we all know that whether it's organizations, movements, or even like people and animals, we are most vulnerable during our infancy, right? So we have this early church that's just beginning to gain ground. And there's these people around them who claim to follow Jesus, yet their hearts are far from him. So God brings judgment on Ananias and Sapphira to keep the cancer of their sin from spreading through the whole church. And and here's where I say that this was actually God's grace on the church. Because we read in Acts chapter 5 verse 14 that more than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both more than ever believers were added to the Lord I don't know about you but my guess if I were writing a book on church growth strategies it wouldn't center around God striking dead a couple people you know that wouldn't be like it doesn't seem like good PR God it doesn't seem like it's going to work out real well but the truth here is actually kind of intuitive The kingdom of God cannot be built and the church cannot advance. We cannot do the work of Jesus without doing it the way of Jesus. When we think about how the world views the church and like what's their number one thing about why they don't like the church? They're hypocrites. It's like why would I want to be a part of a bunch of people who talk with their mouths but don't live it out in their lives? And so this is what God is doing. He's saying like, man, if there is sin in the church, it's going to hinder its progress. It's going to hinder its spread. And so in order to see the church grow and flourish and be the blessing to the nations that it's called to be, we must rid ourselves of sin. We must walk in holiness. We cannot do the work of Jesus unless we do it the way of Jesus. We cannot do the work of Jesus unless we do it the way of Jesus. There's a guy named uh, Dr. Edwin Orr. He was an evangelist and a scholar. Uh, He was actually on the board of directors for the first ever board of directors for Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, He was considered by, Billy Graham had this quote about him, said he's one of the greatest authorities on the history of religious revivals in the Protestant world. And being a scholar on revival, it makes sense that his last ever sermon preached was titled, Revival is Like Judgment Day. His final word to the church before his passing away was pretty simple. Is that revival is always marked by a radical work of God in dealing with the sins of believers. He says this, here's a quote. He says, a lot of people think that revival is a tremendous time of excitement and a great roll call of converts, but it begins like Judgment Day, with the Holy Spirit exposing all the sins of the church. The first thing that God does as a response to revival prayer is conviction of sin. And I don't know about you, but I, like, I hope that you're with me on the same page, is man, I want to be a part of a church that sees revival happen in the city. 
I want to be a part of a movement of believers that sees our city transformed, that sees people brought back to life, that sees families restored and addictions forsaken. I want to see healing brought to this city. I want to be a light in a dark place. I want to see God bring revival to West Council Bluffs. And if that's truly our prayer, the truth that Acts 5 tells us is if we want that to happen, we're going to have to walk in holiness. Because we cannot do the work of Jesus unless we do it the way of Jesus. Like, man, I think about, like, you think about all these, like, uh, celebrity preachers that we hear about doing all these evil things. And it's like, like, do we think that's helping or hurting? <laughs> it's hurting. When we think about the prosperity crooks on TBN who are promising uh, you to be wealthy if you just buy them a new jet. Do you think that's helping or hurting? <laughs> When we, but when we think about like our own outbursts of anger at work, I think that's helping or hurting. When we think about the jealousy and gossip that we portray in our families and among our friend groups, man, do you think that's helping or hurting? Do you think that's promoting the kingdom of God? Do you think that's pushing us forward? Man, it's important. When, when the world hears you talk about your wife, or your pastor, or your city group? Man, are they compelled to follow Jesus because of what's happening? Man, that's important. Because here's what I think. I believe that the message, the grace that Jesus gives, and the message of the gospel, that life that Jesus calls us to, man, it's it's an incredibly beautiful portrait of how to live this life. And if we were to walk in this way honestly, I think people would be drawn to it. And think about it, a life characterized by generosity, kindness, forgiveness, honesty, humility, graciousness, patience, self-control, and love. Who's going to be like, I don't want any part of that? (laughs) It's a profoundly lovely way to live. It's the way we were intended to experience life. We as the church, we're to be ambassadors of God's kingdom. We're supposed to be bringing God's kingdom wherever we go. And as people get a taste of it, when they see a glimpse of God's kingdom, I believe they're going to be drawn to it. And man, I don't want to be all like, Chuck gets to preach on like bold faith and bold prayer last week and I have to preach on this. But like, I don't want to be a bummer because I think we're seeing it happen in our church. I think we are seeing glimpses of God's kingdom come. I think we are seeing people drawn into God's kingdom because of our faithfulness and our walk with Jesus. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing people drawn into relationship with God because of the preaching of the gospel and your devotion. We've seen glimpses of God's kingdom as we passed out hundreds of meals just on Monday at our monthly food pantry. We've seen glimpses of God's kingdom as addicts are gathering in the basement every week to confess their sin to one another and support each other in their healing journey. We're seeing glimpses of God's kingdom as last week you all raised $1,300 to send teenagers who can't afford it to camp next week. We're seeing glimpses of God's kingdom right here in our midst. Because of your faithfulness, because of our walking with Jesus, trying to be obedient as best we can, we got to experience new life today even as we celebrated in baptism. That was our 20th baptism. What an amazing thing we've got to witness and experience as a church. And I'm excited about that, and I'm grateful to be a part of this body of believers. 
When I look out at you and I think about all you've done, all you've sacrificed, all you've given, all the ways you've imaged Jesus, all the ways you've encouraged me personally, and all the ways you've encouraged and loved one another, man, I'm grateful to be a part of this body of believers. But I can't help but wonder, the question is still in my mind, what if? What if? What if we were to truly throw off every sin that so easily distracts us? That so easily distracts our world from the message of the gospel. Man, what if we gave up our pride? What if we gave up our greed? What if we gave up our fixation on things? What if we gave up on our political partisanship and that we might lift up the kingdom to which we truly have an allegiance to? And that's the kingdom of God. What if our lives were so devout, devoted to magnifying Jesus that we made sure nothing else got in the way of that message? What if church, what if our God, what if it wasn't comfort or security or preferences? What if our God was the crucified Jesus? And what if we modeled our lives after the crucified Jesus? Man, I believe that Jesus could use a church like that to turn this city upside down. I believe that Jesus could use a church like that to bring light to dark places. I believe Jesus could use a church like that to bring hope. I believe Jesus could use a church like that. So when we read about God's judgment on Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, I don't think it should strike fear into our hearts. I I think it should give us like a holy confidence, a joyful humility to confess our sin, to not hide it anymore, not pretend to be something we're not, and say, hey man, I'm in process. That's why I need the grace of God. This is what we do as we read Acts 5. We confess our sin, we run from it, and we run into the gracious arms of Jesus because God's judgment shows us his grace. And after Ananias and Sapphira would judge, like I talk about, the church grew like crazy, like it never had before. So church, this morning, I believe if we were to fully commit to living the way Jesus has called us to, I believe we could see revival happen in our city. But like Dr. Edwin Orr said, revival is a lot like Judgment Day. It's going to take the exposing and the turning from sin in our lives so that we may be accurate representations of Jesus to the watching world around us. And church, the other thing is like when we read about God's judgment, we should not be afraid. It should not cause anxiety in us. It should actually cause celebration and worship to rise in us. Because God's judgment not only opens up the opportunity for his kingdom to grow, but we know for all who trust in Jesus, we will not experience God's ultimate judgment. Because God's ultimate desire and plan is to judge and destroy all sin and evil. God's, that is God's end game, is the eradication of evil, the destruction of sin, and the obliteration of death. And all who are in Jesus will be pardoned on the day of judgment because Because God himself knew how messed up we were, he actually came to this earth and bore the judgment for our sin on his own body. God himself bore the judgment for our sin on his body that we might escape the judgment of God one day. And that we might experience his new creation where all sin, all evil is obliterated and we are living in the kingdom of God. Jesus absorbs the, pun- the Jesus absorbs the judgment of God for our sins so that we might be pardoned for them. 
Amen. This is the truth that changes us. This is your truth that calls us to live the way that Jesus has called us to. That, man, no matter how far you are from God right now, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how much you know or don't know, no matter where you came from, everyone who comes to the cross of Christ and confesses that I'm a sinner, I'm screwed up, I don't have it all together, I've tried to run my own life and I messed it up, whoever confesses their sin to God and asks for grace, it will be granted to them because God himself took on the judgment for the sins of all who would come and believe. And when, when you trust in Jesus, you will not take on God's ultimate judgment for sin. And that's what we celebrate in communion. That Jesus died on the cross, that we might be forgiven our sin, restored to the Father, and also empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that looks like Him. We get to grant grace the way we've been granted grace. We get to be generous the way our God was generous. We get to love the way that God has loved us. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are empowered to live the way He has called us to. So man, my, my call for you, if you're in this room and you say, man, I don't, I'm not following Jesus. I don't know what this is all about. What I want you to hear this morning is that God is reaching out to you this morning. And your, your sin is exposed in this room. He says, man, I know you don't have it all together. I know you're not perfect. I know you're not the most holy person in the room. But he came. God came to earth and he died on the cross. He took the punishment for your sins so that you might be restored to him if you would simply come and confess. And for those in this room who say, man, I'm following Jesus, but I know that there's things in my life that are hindering my walk with him and hindering the witness to the watching world. Man, the offer at the communion table is simply to own up to it. And to stop hiding. To come out of hiding. Because the cross has ratted us all out. We are free to live open, vulnerable, as long as we are pushing towards growth and maturation in Christ. And there's people in this room who want to help you. This is why we get together in city groups. It's why we get together in Bible studies. It's why we have equipped classes. Because we want to encourage each other to growth in Christ. And so, man, there may be a couple steps you need to take. You may need to come and, and confess your sin. And then maybe you need to get together with somebody in a city group, get together with me or Chuck, get together with one of the city group leaders and say, man, there's things I need to grow. There's things I need to learn. Like, I'm messed up. I, I want to honor Jesus, but there's things that are holding me back. Maybe that's you this morning. But I just want to remind us as we take communion that we do not have to experience God's ultimate judgment. Because Jesus has already done that for us. So we need not walk in fear. We need not hide. We need not pretend. We can simply walk in the freedom of his grace. And experience a life where there is no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we try to image him to a watching world. Amen? Uh, let's pray. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.